welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you joining me for today's episode. I'm joined by a very special guest. His name is Hugh Van Kylenberg. And um, look, he has put together a book that has made a massive impact on a lot of people's lives and he should be very proud of the message that he's putting out there and it definitely had a big impact on me and I could not wait to get him on the show. So I'm sure you guys will absolutely love today's episode. So a big thank you to Hugh for giving up his time and as a favor to him, if you do enjoy today's show, please do take a screenshot of the episode, post it up on your Instagram story for me, tag myself and tag Hugh at The Resilience Project. And we'd love to hear your feedback. So enjoy the chat. Hugh, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, um, I'm very, very keen for this one. Um, if you ask anyone that is close to me, whether it be Danielle or any of my best mates, they'll, they'll know that um, I've been actually, I never get nervous for podcasts. I don't know why I'm nervous for this one, but uh, <laughs> I, I have been really excited to, to get it done and um, you know, it was actually only recently that I read The Resilience Project. Um, I've obviously heard about it for a long time. It had been on the list of books to, to get get to and um, I'm wishing I had read it um, a bit sooner. But I, I kind of went down the path of, I guess, personal development and gratitude and mindfulness and stuff um, over the past yeah. couple of years. And, um, yeah, as I said, Danielle bought me the book just, just recently and I smashed through it in about a day or two, which is very unusual for me. It usually takes me a month to get to it. Good going. Very yeah. good going. Very good. Um, but no, I've been really looking forward to this chat. So again, thanks, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I um, Just through progression, fitness and all that, a couple of my mates uh, are, are down there. So I sort of have seen your, um, quite literally, your body of work. It's very, very impressive. Uh, so no, looking forward to it, mate. Fantastic. Well, for all the listeners that are, that are tuning in at the moment, um, for those of you that haven't read the book, um, I'll obviously have the link to, to everything in, in the show notes today for any of your content, Hugh, and um, I would highly recommend everybody go and grab the book and, and have a read of it yourself. And I'll try not to touch on too ma- too many things out of the book today so uh, we don't give too much away. But, mate, I want you to tell the listeners a bit about yourself in regards to before the book, um, how the Resilience, Resilience Project started in regards to going and speaking to schools and, and how all that journey came about in the first place. Yeah, I get asked this a bit and I never know quite how to do it succinctly. I guess for me, um, going back about probably 12 years now, I was a primary school teacher and I enjoyed it. Like I really liked it, but I did also in the back of my mind have this thought of like, gee, I'd love to do something really big one day. Mm. But I had no, I had no idea what that kind of was. Um, I was very passionate about, um, about education, very passionate about mental health. Um, because my sister, um, when she was 14 years old, was diagnosed with um, anorexia nervosa. And when she was 18, it very nearly, uh, very nearly killed her. It was, it was really, really bad. Um, so that's always been a passion of mine or interest of mine, mental health. Um, and the other thing I've always loved doing, which is very weird, a very strange um, thing to love doing, but I've always loved public speaking, um, which I don't know why, where that comes from, but I just did. Um, and then in... 2008 I went and lived in India for a a good part of a year Um, I didn't want to go there my um, ex-girlfriend said 
we were going to go. And so we did. Um, and we did a bit of uh, backpacking around and, and um, I played a lot of cricket back then. So I was mainly looking for opportunities in cricket over there. And um, she said we should go and volunteer in a school. Um, and I was thinking, well, why don't we go and actually get paid to do it? Like, why don't we go and set a volunteer? And she said, no, no, we should volunteer. So we ended up in a little village called Tixay. Tixay is just this tiny little remote village up in the Himalayas. No running water, no electricity, uh, no beds, all that kind of stuff. Very poor people. And I remember thinking to myself after a few days in the school, I was just like, I've never, ever, I've never seen happiness like this before. These people in this village are the happiest people I've ever met and they've got nothing. They've got, they've got no money. Their houses are the size of like little bedrooms, but I've never seen anyone so happy before. So um, I remember um, I couldn't help but think about my little sister. We we're going to be there for a couple of weeks. So I thought, no, nah, do you know what? Let's stay for... Um, let's stay a little bit longer. And the reason I wanted to stay was I kind of, want, kind of wanted to work out what is it these people do every day that makes them so happy. Um, lived in that community for a couple of months and I was like, this is just unbelievable here. And I saw there were three things these people did every day. They just, they stopped their day in practice. Three things that made them feel really, or which I thought must be the things that make them feel really happy. So they practiced gratitude, they practiced empathy and they practiced mindfulness. And so I joined in. I'd never done this stuff forever. I was 28 and I was like, I thought like I knew everything. I was, I was like, what is this? And loved it. I was like, this is life-changing. I can't believe how good this is. Um, came back to Melbourne, went back to teaching for a bit and I found a little bit, I know I had this really big desire to do something big and I thought what I'll do is I'll combine my passions and my love of like mental health education and, and public speaking and I'll go to schools and I'll do presentations. Um, and I'm telling you this story because I think your listeners are probably quite aspirational people um so i um i remember thinking oh i'll just go and do talks at school schools will pay me i'll be like a speaker and i went back to the school where i taught and they said yeah we'd love to have you come and speak that went really well went back to my school where i went to school i said yeah we'd love you to come and speak did that that went well and then i was like right i'm away here having quit my teaching job um and then i started t- ringing schools saying can i speak to the principal and they're like uh no nah, sorry who are you and i'd say oh i'm just this I'm my name's Hugh. I just want to do talks. And they're like, uh, no, you'd be right. Thanks. And just hang up. And then I'd finally get to meet the principal and they'd say, no, nah, we're right. Come back in a year if you're still. And everyone was just saying no. Like, and I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've quit my job. Um, and honestly, it was, I was working so hard at it, but no one was interested. Like it was probably about, oh, in, in the book, there's a chapter on how I literally went to buy a coffee one day, having not been able to get any emergency teaching work. And I didn't have any money. I was like, I had nothing. I was completely broke. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I've got, I've got nothing here. No one's interested in what I'm doing. But then I just sort of, one of my housemates helped me out for a bit and got through that. And then the ball started to get rolling a bit more, bit more momentum. And then it just really sort of took off. And now we find ourselves in a nice position kind of 10 years later where, um, yeah, it's quite a prominent program in education in schools across the country. And um, a lot of elite sporting clubs are on board and a lot of corporates as well. So that's a very, very long answer to your question. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> Fantastic. And I want to go back um, a few steps now. So I think there's chapter two in the book. Um, I reckon it was maybe called A Lesson in Gratitude or something along the, along the line. Yep. Um, and you spoke about, you know, one of the incidents you spoke about is having a, a game of cricket in the backyard with your old man. And that was kind of your first big lesson um, in gratitude and also being, I guess, humble in defeat and um, not just cracking the sads. I want, to, I want you to kind of now think about, 
you know, that time that you're in, in the coffee store and you can't afford your coffee, you've, you've realised that maybe you've made a bit of a mistake here in terms of just jumping straight in the deep end. What was your mindset then and how did you kind of get your, your headspace from going, you know, what have I done here? I've completely yeah. to seeing the positive side of it and seeing like how you're going to find the outcome that you're, you're actually after that. How did you get out of that um, negative headspace? Uh, that's a really, really good question. Um, well, I think first of all, I, I very strongly believed in like the purpose that I, like the reason I was doing it was because I wanted to help. In fact, I haven't actually said this before, but I didn't even write this in the book. I, like I say to everyone, everyone says, what's your purpose? I say, oh, it's to help people to feel happy. And that's a really nice purpose for me because if I, you know, if I do a really big talk at the convention center, great. There's a lot of people there I can help to feel happy. But if I don't do, if I don't have a talk on that day and I am chatting to the barista at my cafe and we have a really good chat, I hope that I can make him feel a bit happier. So either way, there's a reason to get out of bed in the morning. If it's, if I've got the whole day with my son, well, I'm going to look for opportunities to really create special memories with him. And, and, and so I've always, that purpose for me is like, it's sort of, it's all encompassing. So back then it wasn't to make people happy. It was, and again, I haven't said this before, but it was to try and make sure families don't go through what we went through or probably more specifically like my mum and dad, like I used to see the pain that my mum and dad were in when they were trying to help my sister, when they were unable to help her when she was, when her anorexia was bad, right? She was down to, she, when she was in year 12, she ended up in hospital because she dropped below crisis weight and she was weighing in at 31 kilograms. And she's not a short person, like she, but she was down to 31 kilograms. It was really bad. And um, I remember seeing mum and dad in hospital. They'd been pretty stoic throughout the four years, the first four years of her anorexia. But when she's in hospital, they look so defeated and so shattered. I remember having this thought of like, I just wish I knew what I could do to help them to feel happy. And then when I started the resilience project, it was about, I want to make sure no families went through what we went through. So that was kind of my purpose. And I suppose I didn't think I was starting a business. I never thought I'm starting a business and I'm a businessman and I'm, I've got a company. I just thought like when I go to a school, I've got the opportunity to help stop families to experience what we experience. So I think for me, it was demoralizing at age, I would have been 30 back then. So at age 30, I had no money. I was completely broke. That was demoralizing. And we attach a lot of self-worth to, to, you know, our financial situation. And, And I suppose I was pretty flat. Actually, I've never really cared too much about money. So that didn't bother me a huge amount apart from the practical side, not being able to afford stuff. But um, I think for me in my head, I was like, well, yeah, I've got nothing going at the moment, but if I get to go to school next week or the week after someone books me in a month time, that's an opportunity to stop families going through what we went through. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. It sounds a bit arrogant. I'm not saying the second I turn up to school, all families, you know, (laughs) there's no way that anyone in the family experienced a mental illness, but I certainly felt like I could have an impact with people and go, well, here's some stuff you can do that will help you to have better mental health. And um, for me, it was, yeah, it was never about my business isn't going well or I'm failing as a business. It was just like, I'm not getting a, a massive opportunity to live my purpose right now, but I'm just going to keep chipping away. And um, the money doesn't, as long as I can live, which I couldn't for a while, but as long as I can afford the bills, all that kind of stuff, if I'm, if I'm living out my purpose of helping families, then it doesn't really matter if it's, five schools in a week or one school in a week or back then it was kind of one school every three weeks 
Yeah. Um, when I get that opportunity, I'm going to really absolutely give that everything. And hopefully in the future, I'll have more opportunities to do that. Not to say it wasn't hard and, and not to say I didn't have a lot of very down moments of just what am I doing? Yeah, sure. um, and it's hard, like mum and dad, very supportive, but also a bit worried when their son's 30 and no money and no real clients. But I'm going, oh, it's really good what I'm doing. Trust me, it's great. You, it's going to be really good. And they're going, good on you. We're very proud of you. But I can see them in the same breath. They're a little bit worried as well. Yeah, for sure. There's two things I kind of take away from that. Um, the first one being what you touched on in regards to, you know, if you keep doing the things that you know are going to align with your purpose, regardless of the outcome today, like in the long run, the things are going to pay off. And this is something I tell my clients a lot. Um, and I talk about it a lot on the podcast too, in regards to doing the small things exceptionally well on a daily basis, regardless yep. of what the outcome is on that day. And that, that yeah. time, it, it gradually builds up to significant results. And I guess the second part of that, um, for anyone listening at the moment that has any form of business, whether it's aligned with what Hugh's talking about or what I'm talking about in regards to fitness, is that, you know, even with my content, such as this podcast or through Instagram or, or any of those things, email list, I've been doing this since 2013 and early days. And even now, like in terms of my audience, it's nowhere near as large as what I would love it to be. But if you can constantly think about the fact that even if you've only got 250 followers on your business account on social media or or whatever you're trying to do whether it be a podcast you're only getting 50 downloads imagine standing in a room in front of 250 people and being able to impact every single one of them so every piece of content that you're putting out or every effort that you've got with someone such as yourself trying to make um, others happy you can have such a large impact on a small amount of people which then manifests to, to such bigger things yeah, and even even that for for the people listening who have got their own businesses in the fitness industry, like you're obviously doing it because you're passionate about fitness, and also you've got a good knowledge of it. And and for you, you want to help other people experience the joy of fitness and everything that comes with it. If you're helping one person do that, like you know the feeling when you've got a client one on one and you know that you're having an impact on them, that's a great feeling. Um, yeah, you may not have you know half a million followers on Instagram, but that doesn't matter. Like it's not about that. That doesn't matter. Honestly, it just doesn't matter. It is so, we've become, with social media, we've become so caught up in um, things that aren't as important. Oh, things like, um, you look at, like a lot of people will say, um, you know, around how much, like, like money is such a big thing, like financial success. Honestly, it just, provide you've got enough to look after yourself and your loved ones. And as long as you are, you are getting true joy out of what you're doing and you're spreading joy through what you're doing, uh, it doesn't matter how many people are watching or if you're having an impact on a few people making one person's life better. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've got a million followers or 10 followers. If you're helping those 10 followers, that's huge and you should be so proud of that. 100%. Now going back to, I want to talk about a little bit about the book again and um, particularly your trip over to uh, Mumbai, was it? Yeah, originally Mumbai. Landed in Mumbai but ended up all over the place, yeah. So when you, uh, when you first met um, Little Stanza, and for those that haven't read the um, the book, you'll get you'll get to know um, him. This was, reading this chapter was like probably at the point of the book where it had like the biggest impact um, on me and, and the whole thing, but this one in particular. So I guess seeing his like how he behaved day in day out. For those that are listening that haven't read the book, um, and this could be one thing that makes them go and buy it straight away and have a listen to it and read it. Sorry, what um what are some of the acts of I guess kindness or gratitude that he would display on a daily basis that just kind of grabbed your attention? Yeah, so just 
And also, just before I jump into that, a nice way of rounding out what we were talking about before. Everything that happens to you in your life is an opportunity to, um, I mean, it sounds very cliche, but to grow and to add to your story. So what I mean by that, like back when I was 28, I decided in my head I wanted to be a cricket coach and I was coaching a, a grade club in Melbourne or a Premier League club in Melbourne in Melbourne University and we just won a club championship and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I could be a cricket coach. Maybe that's what I want to do because I was so unsure. And um, my partner said, no, we've got to go to India. I want to go overseas. Um, and I didn't want to go, but I went because of her. I was like, oh, this is just such bad time in my career career. And then she said, I said, we should go and get a job getting paid to be teachers. And she said, no, that's volunteer. And I'm going, well, this is going to be another three or four months where I'm not making any money. And um, none of it. And I remember there were points where I was really, we're living in a desert. I was pretty lonely, pretty isolated, pretty like, what am I doing in my life? But if it wasn't for that experience, if I didn't go and do that stuff that at the time I didn't see had any monetary value or um, any status kind of value or was taken away from the time I was playing cricket, there's no way the resilience project would have happened. Um, so just a, just a quick one on that. I think sometimes you find yourself doing stuff you're not overly keen on, but it's all part of your story. And, and if it's a, it's a bad experience, it adds to the depth of you and it adds, adds to your character and all that kind of stuff. But um, Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market to answer your question Danny, so um when we first arrived we're in mumbai for a couple of months my ex-partner said let's go and teach here so we went to a village and on my first day teaching in the school i met this kid and i remember within about oh, 10 minutes of being in his presence i thought never i have never seen joy like this in my entire life this kid so unbelievably happy and so he's the reason he's the person i just kept um, I just followed him everywhere, which sounds very creepy, but I, I watched, I observed him quite closely, which also doesn't sound great. But um, this kid, I, I made a study of the stuff that he was doing because I thought this kid here has got nothing. He sleeps on a dirt floor pretty much. He's just, yet he's so happy. So I, um, I, he was the person I kind of kept a very close eye on. And there were three things he did every day, three things he stopped his day and practiced every single day. The first one was gratitude. Second one, empathy. Third one, mindfulness. Gratitude. Every single time this kid saw, this is such a nice story, but whenever he saw something he was grateful for, he would just kind of stop and point to it and he would look at me and he would say, because he knew I was just like so infatuated with him, he'd say, sir, look. And I'd say, what is it? And he'd try and say that English was his third language. So it was quite difficult for him, but he would try and say the word this, but he couldn't pronounce the TH. And he'd say, hey, sir, this. And I'd say, sorry, mate, do you mean this? And he'd say, yes this and i'd say no no this and he'd say yes yes this and i'd go that'll do um so i'll point out some things that he I'll, I'll give you some examples of things he pointed out to me quite regularly so um uh number one is shoes probably my favorite whenever he if i walk past him he's tying up his shoelaces hey sir yes dunson and he would point to his shoes and just say this 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 what he was saying was i got shoes on my feet how lucky am i uh, at lunchtime, there was a few, a lot of the kids couldn't afford to bring lunch to school. So we cooked rice for them. He would get his little cup of, just a cup of rice. That's it. Like he just had rice for lunch, nothing else. And he'd walk past me and go, Hey, sir. And I'd go, yes, Dunson. And he'd point to his rice and just go, this. What he was saying was, I get lunch here today. How lucky am I? 
um, having fun with his friends. Hey, sir, this person, this person, this person. What he's saying was how lucky am I to have those people? And that's kind of how this kid stopped and like practiced gratitude every day. I'm not saying to the listeners run around saying this everywhere you go. Although I do remember, I do remember telling this story to the um, Collingwood Football Club back in 2000 and oh, was it 16? I can't remember. 2016, maybe 2017. And um, they were quite moved by the story. But one of the players was particularly moved. He was quite teary. Uh, his name's Adam. And um, I didn't get a chance to catch up with him afterwards. And I was watching on the weekend. I watched them play. And I saw Adam Trelaw on the TV. He'd, on his wrist, he'd just written the word dis. And I spoke to him a little while afterwards and said, oh, I saw the dis thing you put on your wrist. And he said, yeah, well, I did some extra reading after you came and spoke to us. Um, and I read that if you're experiencing the emotion of gratitude, you can't possibly feel a negative emotion at the same time. And he said, and I, as he's spoken about a lot of the media, he's, he's had some issues with anxiety. And he said, uh, during the game, it can really peak my anxiety. So when it's getting really bad, um, I'll often just stop. Um, I'll just stop and for a minute and I'll tap my wrist three times and I'll think of three things I'm really grateful for, you know, food, water, shelter, my partner, um, you know, family, whatever it is. And he said, um, that's been a really nice way of me practicing gratitude. Again, I'm not saying everyone listening has to go around and write this on their wrist. Um, they're, they're, um, but, but if, you, if you're doing a practice gratitude, the best way to do it quite simply at the end of the day, and this is quite a life-changing activity for such a small investment in your time. And this is what I do love about this. Like as everyone listening to this podcast knows, if you want to improve your fitness levels, it's going to take a fair bit of work, uh, you know, maybe an hour a day or whatever it is or an hour every couple of days. To become happier, if you, all you have to do to practice gratitude every night is to write down three things that went well for you. That's all you need to do. Now, this is scientifically based. It's been cited 6,200 times in um, academic papers around the world. If you write down three things that went well for you every single day, not three unbelievable things, just three things that went well for you, um, the changes that come over you are incredible. Um, in a very short time, in a few days, you'll start to notice that you walk around scanning the world for the positives. Um, you're not someone who goes around. Um, uh, you're not someone who goes around um, sort of being affected and seduced by the negative, like we so easily can be. So often, we find ourselves paying attention to the negatives. Um, but if you if you write down three things that went well for you every night, you'll notice that when you're walking around, you'll just start to suck in the positives. It makes you feel happier, um, and it makes you. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, after about six weeks, you start to become more enthusiastic. You have better focus. You start to sleep better. Levels of depression and anxiety go down. Whether it's in a journal next to your bed, a notepad next to your bed, all you need to do is write down three things that went well for you. It's incredible um, how quickly it can have such a big impact on you. Yeah, it's unreal. I've got, um, I've been for the last kind of about, I think it was the Jan, Jan 1st, 2017, was the first day I started. Um, I made the goal of meditating every single day. I'd write down three to five daily goals that I had um, hit that morning that were going to be practical and be able to revisit them at night and tick them off. And um, a little bit yeah. uh, into what, what you're doing, but I'd write down in the morning kind of three things, three to five things that I was grateful for. And I've done that every single day since Jan 1st, 2017. And it's had such a uh, significant impact on, on me and my life and those around me. And, you know, I try and push it not push it on everyone, but I try and uh, encourage everyone to do exactly the same thing. And, um, and the feedback is always just so great. But one thing that I wanted to ask you is that, and, you know, you even touch on this in the book in regards to talking about um, jam or even just mindfulness and writing down gratitude and stuff. 
for those that have never practiced this before and they haven't really opened up their mind to the impact it could have on them or the benefits, what's a way that you find easy to be able to, I guess, communicate this to them in a way that they're actually going to go and do it? Because I know you talk about, you know, I'll, I'll even mention things about meditation and stuff to certain people. And I'll admit I was the last person that you'd expect to meditate before I started. And when I tell certain people about it, it's just like it just goes straight over their head as if there's no chance they're even going to try it. So without going through your full presentation in front of someone, what have you found be the most effective way to actually get this point across to people? It's very simple, storytelling. You, as human beings, we love stories. Like we, I've been doing this for 10 years and, and 95% of my presentation or show or talk, whatever you want to call it, is storytelling and it's 5% which is like here's the science behind it here's the practical side and I just see the look in people's faces like not that they stop listening but when I'm talking about the science behind it or the actual practical stuff then automatically sort of that's when they'll just shuffle in their seats and sort of get comfortable again or look around or check their watch or whatever it is but when I'm telling a story no one moves so you just we love stories we love hearing stories even crap ones we don't we still like listening to so um, I use storytelling so what I will, I mean, some of the audiences that I go and speak to could be, we did one for, um, for PowerCore, a huge program for PowerCore or, or CityCorp, I think it's called. Um, and they have these, the line is, so the guys who actually um, take care of all the electricity poles and hook them up around Victoria. Yep. Um, and I'm going out to their depots at 6.30 in the morning and they're, they're, they're like rough as tradies. And like I'd walk in and the reception I got was just so cold and fair enough too, like, the last thing I want is to sit down and listen to a bloke talk about mental health at 6, 6.30 in the morning. Um, but I'd rock in there and I'd roll straight into a story and they just listen. Like we, we listen to stories. So um, if it's so if you're, for example, Danny, you're trying to get a client to do it, you simply tell the story of you not wanting to do it and how, you know, you, like they can relate to that. You think, I'm not doing meditation, that's ridiculous. And then the impact it's had on you. So the story that I have found most effective um, is the story about Dustin Martin. Um, so I did a lot of stuff with, um, well, I remember, I remember actually doing, I've done a lot of stuff in the AFL, but I remember when I was doing stuff with Richmond, um, I had these journals next to me, these 21 day journals that we do. And we've got, we got a 21 day journal and a six month journal. And the club said to me, bring a 21 day journal for every player. And I said, yeah, no, that's fine. And I had the 21 day journals next to me. Um, and I said, guys, there's enough for one each. And Dustin Martin walked past and he looks at the journals. He looked back at me and he grabbed 10 of them and he walked off for 10. I was about to say, excuse me, mate, <laughs> just one. But then I find him quite scary, so I just let him go. <laughs> uh, and he walks off with his uh, 10 journals, and, 10 21-day journals. And then 210 days later to the very day, uh, I get a text message from a number I didn't recognise. It just said, hi, mate, finish your journals. Can you please flick us some more? And um, I remember saying, uh, yeah, no, worries. sorry, who is this? <laughs> and the message came back and it said, it's Dusty. I remember going, Dusty, Dusty. No, nah, I don't know a Dusty. And then... I was like, I'm so sorry, Dusty, Dusty who? And the message came back. Anyway, so Dustin Martin um, has now been doing this for over 2,000 days. He does three things went well for him. He does an act of kindness every day as part of the empathy piece. And for mindfulness, he does his meditation every single day. So I don't stand up to people. I don't stand up in front of people and say, guys, you should do this because the research says it's really good. Or I don't say, guys, look what I've done. Like I've, I've managed to do this. You should, I just say, here's a story of a ripping bloke who who didn't want to do it, he did it. That's been massive for him. I find, yeah, so that's, a again, long answer, but storytelling. So you want to convince someone to do it, tell them a story about why it works and they'll listen. And they'll listen, yeah. When you first got into 
meditation because I remember reading in the book how it wasn't something that you'd practiced um, before. No. One of the one of the questions that I get a lot often is is for those that are starting, like, what's the best way to start? Was there a certain, was there an app or was there a, a type of meditation that you found most effective for you initially? Um, so for me, my introduction was, so 2006, so, so 2008, I'm in India, but go back a couple of years, the partner, so my girlfriend who actually took me to India, she started doing these meditations in the morning. And I remember thinking, what a weird thing to do. And oddly enough, I didn't ask her about it. I didn't say, what on earth is this about? I just said, oh, well, I trust that you're enjoying it, but I'm not doing it. That's just a really weird way to start your day. And then when we went to India, before school, 8.30 to 9 o'clock, the kids would sit around. And I think I've got a picture of this on my Instagram account, I think. Anyway, the, the kids would sit around and for half an hour, the principal would just say stuff. And what, it was a different language. It was Ladakhi. So we didn't know what was going on. And they would sit there with their hands in a position, kind of like they were praying. So I thought it was their prayers. And the principal said, no, no, it's meditation. And I remember thinking back then, what a ridiculous waste of time. These poor kids, half an hour before school every day. But then after a couple of days, I realized something. It was optional. No one had to be there. Yet every single kid and heaps of parents turned up for it as well. I remember thinking, gosh, there must be something in that. So that's when I kind of joined in. And for me, all it was back then was sitting still for half an hour and I didn't know what they were saying, so I didn't quite get it, but I could see they were doing a lot of breathing in and out at like certain dictated sort of pace by the, by the principal. So I was sort of joining in that, but not really knowing what I was doing. And after a couple of weeks of sitting there, I was like, the thing I look forward to most of my day was the half an hour of complete stillness sitting outside. Now, in our, the way we live our lives at the moment, well, maybe we do now, but usually when the dust settles on COVID-19, a lot of us don't have half an hour to just sit down outside. So... Um, the, if someone's listening going, oh, I've never done this before and I'm a bit like you back in 2006, I don't really think there's a point. This is the best way to start. Well, so, sorry, just very quickly, what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is the ability to be calm. It's the ability to be present. Are we calm in Australia right now? No, we're not. The most common mental illness in Australia is anxiety disorder. That was before coronavirus. I can't even imagine how bad it is now, right? Are we present in Australia? No, we're not. And I think a lot of people relate to this. The research says we spend 49% of our day thinking about the future and 30, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it's 34% of our day thinking about the past. So that gives us 15% of the day where we're actually thinking about what's happening as it happens. And that's really sad when you consider that 100% of our day is the present moment. So whether it's missing out on an opportunity to be there with a loved one, like really there with them, or whether you're missing out um, professionally or like career-wise or academically because you're not really present, um, mindfulness is when you just learn to be wherever you are. So... Um, this is how I practice mindfulness now. And this is probably the easiest way to incorporate it into your life. Um, walk a lap of the block. Or if you don't want to do that, just sit outside, put your stopwatch on for five minutes and just pay attention to what you can hear. That's it. That's all you do for five minutes. And, and you'll, your brain will wonder. You'll start thinking, you know, what time does training start today? Oh, I've got to get there by nine o'clock. What time will I leave? I've got to leave at 8.30. Which way will I? And you go, no, 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 no. What can I hear? And then you go, oh, I can hear birds. I can hear cars. I can hear trucks. I can hear the trees. And then your brain will start to, to wonder to other stuff and you go, no, 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 no. Um, what can I hear right now? Every single time you wrestle your thoughts back to what you can hear, you are practicing mindfulness and yeah. you are being present, which is, um, that's how I'll do it. But there are many apps. Um, we, uh, we've got an app, The Resilience Project, uh, which has got lots of meditations in it as well. Um, there's another great one at the moment, which I'm loving called Waking Up with Sam. Sam Harris is a neuroscientist. He's developed this app and it's, it's a beauty as well. So, um, but there are plenty of options there. Have you looked in, have you um, consumed much of 
Dr. Joe Dispenza's content? I haven't yet. No, no. Is it good? I'll just send you some links. Just going off everything we spoke about today and obviously the book, I reckon you get a lot out of, um, out of his Beautiful. stuff. Really good, yeah. Another thing I've found that's worked really well for me in terms of becoming uh, or improving my ability to be present is cold showers. Um, after kind of listening to a lot of stuff from Wim Hof um, for, for a short while there, I got into him and, and now I just find that like you literally cannot think about anything else apart from the fact that you are in freezing cold water and trying to control your breath and calm yourself down. Um, I've found that's helped a lot. It's very, very funny you say that. The, a guy that you will probably know quite well and Scott Pendlebury, yeah. uh, his wife put up an Instagram video of him jumping in his pool yesterday. Mm. I messaged her and said, is that heated? She said, no, it's freezing. And so I messaged him and said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I love it, mate. It's just such a great... I do it two or three times a day, jump in the cold water. Yeah. And we got a pool at home, which is... I'd bring it off till October. I was like, that's done till October. And so it inspired me. So I said to my wife, you're not going to believe this. Watch this. And I said, just film this, please. And so I went and, jumped in the, went and jumped in the freezing cold pool and I sent it to Scott at about four o'clock in the afternoon and said, you've inspired me. And it was awesome. Like, honestly, I did it as a joke. It was something to send Scott. But then I just loved it so much. And it, it just, I'd, it's exactly what you said. All you think about is just like how your body feels for that amount of time. So I sent it to him and then he wrote back to me at eight o'clock at night and said, you've inspired me. And he sends me a video back of him jumping in his pool at eight o'clock at night. And I'm going, I'm drawing the line here. I'm not jumping in my pool now. <laughs> this is ridiculous. But, but to your point though, like it's, it's amazing how much, uh, and I literally discovered this yesterday, like jumping in the, in the cold water, it absolutely hones all your thoughts to now. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's been probably one of the biggest um, benefits of it. But even just another thing that I tell people as to why I find it so great is it also, you know, especially when we get into winter in Melbourne, the last thing you want to do is have a cold shower or jump in a cold pool. But just kind of building up that um, discipline and and knowing that you're going to do what you said you were going to do, and, and you know it's it's on one of my daily goals every single day to have a cold shower, regardless of whether I feel like it or not. Um, and I guess that carries across to so many other aspects of your life and and things that need to be done on a daily basis, like we're talking yeah. about the small things that need to be done exceptionally well. Yeah, I feel like if you can if you have the discipline to jump in a cold shower first thing in the morning in winter. There's probably not much you can't do throughout your day. Like that'll be the if you can get over that, you're like, well, what else? There's nothing else that can stop me. Yeah. Mate, a few more things before we wrap up. Um, I wanted to ask you, outside of gems, so outside of the, the three things of gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness, is there anything else that you do on a daily basis that you feel um, works very well towards your mental health and well-being? Yeah. There is. And this is very, very relevant to your audience, but for me it's running. Like I um, I played cricket till I was 36 and, and at an okay level and took it very seriously. And I stopped cricket at 36 and I stopped. So I wasn't, I retired at 36. I was like, right. So I'm turning 40 in about, in, in, uh, in about a month, but I, this is back when I was 36. I went, right, cricket's finished. I've had a good career. I've enjoyed it. Now I'm just going to do nothing. And my mental health over the course of the next month of nothing and nothing to train for, nothing to be fit for, nothing to be strong for. I just went, Oh my gosh. And then I remembered back to when I was at school, like I loved athletics more than anything. So much to my wife's um, amazement and shock, um, I joined an athletics club age 36 and started competing. I wanted to do sprints, but my hamstrings would have snapped off the bone like pretty quickly. So I was like 400s is a good event, I reckon, for like sort of sprinting, but sort of not. It's not going to snap my hamstrings, even though it did last season. 
Um, and if I do that seriously, I'll get pretty fit. Um, and the difference in my, I mean, everyone listening to this knows this because you're all, I don't need to sell this to you guys, but the difference in my mental health when I run uh, compared to not running, it's huge. But even though like, but this is the other good thing. Like I had a pretty solid session yesterday. I'm having a rest today. I'm fine today because I know that my recovery today is part of a, about being better tomorrow. So my mental health is so much better when I run. Um, so for me, it's training for, um, training for 400s. I've somehow in a very strange turn of events um, managed to, I've ended up being Katrina Bissett's um, training partner. Katrina's the, uh, has just broken the Australian record for 800 metres and um, ended up. Oh my gosh, mate, her <laughs> sessions are out of control. Uh, and so I've joined her and for the first couple of months, I was a long way out of my comfort zone, but I'm learning to just keep up with her now. And that's been all just training. I, I did athletics training by myself. And there's a big thing about connection, how important that is in being part of a group. I trained by myself and, and liked it, really liked it and, and got a little bit quicker. I joined a group, so Katrina Bissett and the girls that she runs with, who are all ridiculous runners and like mental health through the roof like i just i love it because i'm with a group um they push me so much more than i ever thought i could do um and you're chatting to them you're talking to them so group training is just i just love it so much so um i probably don't need to say that because everyone knows that who's listening to this podcast but um yeah running for me is huge it's funny isn't it? i've never really thought about it in this way but just after we've kind of just been talking about the cold showers and the the meditation and stuff and mindfulness it's also you know, running, um, lifting weights, whatever it is, where you're really pushing yourself physically is another one of those times where you literally can't be thinking about anything else other than what you're doing in that current time and being fully present with, with what you're doing either. It's, it's so true. I, like the first session I had with, with the girls, our, our first running session we had, and um, I said to Katrina, what are you doing for the session? I just want to practice it and check I can do it before I turn up and actually run with you guys and she said oh we're going to do 10 200s and you want to try and do them in about 27 seconds and we'll have a two minute rest between them and then we'll finish with a 400 that you want to try and do in a minute and I went oh my gosh and I tried to do it and I was a little bit slow when I did it by myself I was a bit slower yeah and I was like oh maybe adrenaline will get me across the line so I turned up to run with them and I, I they're at Lakeside Stadium and I turned up there and I and I was like I met them all I was a bit nervous like meeting new friends and all that kind of stuff like a first day at school and I, some of them are going, I could see him going, what's this old man doing running with? <laughs> it's a bit weird. Um, anyway, and they said, oh, we need to start our warm-up now. And I went, yeah, no worries. And I opened up the gates at Lakeside. I did a 4K run for a warm-up. And I was like, oh, my gosh. What? Four, I said, how much longer? I went, I'll probably go for another 3Ks. I was like, That's what, I, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. I think I left something in the car. I just took off. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have said that. But I, I joined them. And then for the rest of that session, I was so... I was like so focused on going, oh my God, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. You're going to embarrass yourself. That's okay. Have a real crack at this. And I did it. And in the car on the way home, just to your point before, Danny, I was driving back home, got through the session, um, nearly died after the 400, but I, was in, I felt so happy afterwards. And I was like, okay, why am I feeling so unbelievably happy right now? And there's a few things, but one of them is what you just said. Like I embarrassed myself in front of so many people, but one of the, all I thought about for like an hour and a half was my running, how my body felt. Yeah. That's all I thought about. Nothing yeah. else came into my head. And I realized that's one of the reasons I just felt so unbelievably happy. And I finished with a 3K warm down as well. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Man, I wanted to, um, I put a thing up on my Instagram yesterday. And I've had, since I put up a, a story saying that we we're going to have a chat 
had a heap of messages from people, you know, sending through how much value they got out of your book and people asking questions and then even just people asking to pass on um, messages to you. So I won't, um, I won't go through all of them because we'll be here for a while. Um, but I just wanted to read out a few and the first couple uh, questions. And um, the first one was, um, as people will start, this is from a teacher, I believe, um, as people start to transition back into work and going to school and everything, what are some of the, the tools that we can use to maintain a positive mindset when we go back through all this change all over again and we've kind of got used to what we're in, into at the moment? Great question because I, um, I heard the other day on the news someone saying, oh, we're not far off easing the restrictions. And my first thought, my honest thought was, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think I'm ready yet. I'm actually quite enjoying not being in a rush for the first time. You and I are the same. We're just like, this is yep. right. We could probably just hang out for a few more weeks, I reckon, and um, have yeah. the restrictions hanging a bit longer. <laughs> um, so when, when, everything, when the pace picks up, up again, I, I kind of hope that everyone remembers the good parts of this lockdown in, in that like this, I, there's so much I've learned about my life, things I'm doing I don't need to do or yeah. things that I can sort of trim off. So um, I, I think the practice of gratitude will be vital. So like gratitude when you pay attention to what you've got, not what you don't have. We have been every day for the last couple of months, we've found out there's something else we can't do or something else we can't see or somewhere else we can't be, whether it's, um, you know, can't go to the pub, can't go to the gym, can't go to the movies, can't go to like whatever it is, cafes. The more time we spend worrying about the stuff we can't do, the more unhappy we're going to be. So um, it's so important we're writing down what went well for us every day. So we're paying attention to what we do have and what we can do. And when we go back into normal life, like cursing stuff like the traffic and which we know is always going to be an issue and going, oh my God, this traffic's so annoying and I'm so busy. Like, um, I think it's really important that we continue to write down the things that went well for us so we don't get bogged down and because that's what we'll do when it all picks up again we'll all start focusing on all the bad stuff again and yeah. um just remember that uh, there's a time there's so much stuff we can't do so we've got to pay attention to the good stuff so my my very um boring answer to that is just continue to write down three things that went well for you every single day that's awesome i remember listening to a um i think it was either an audio book or a podcast um with tony robbins and he talked about how two of the game changers for him was always just focusing on what he does have and what he can control. And, you know, focusing yeah. on what you can control instead of what you can't is something that I try and consciously remind myself of every single day because, it, as you just said, it's so easy to get caught up and, and literally waste like a whole day and being in a foul mood the whole day worrying about something that you literally cannot control or change. And it's just such wasted energy and, and which could be spent having purpose or having a, an impact on other people as well or just being happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. And that, that whole thing about what do you control, like I said before, we spend 49% of our day thinking about the future. We have no control over the future. And that worrying about that is very anxiety provoking. So just paying, we have control over what's happening now. So if you direct your effort and your time and your thought into that, um, you'll be a lot more calm. Hmm. Um, I've got a ton of people just literally saying pretty much the same thing in regards to just absolutely love the book and it's had a huge impact and they basically just wanted to say thanks. Um, another, that's, that's very nice. another person has wrote a message saying that the, the chapter in memory of Luke um, had a huge impact um, on them to the point where they are, you know, go out of their way now to check in with their mates and people around them to make sure that they're, they're doing okay. And they just wanted to say a big, a big thank you to you. 
Um, oh, that's very nice. I'll, I'll send this on to Luke's family because that'll mean a lot to them as well. Fantastic, mate. Look, there's, there's tons I could go through, but, um, you know, just on behalf of them and myself, thanks for, thanks for putting out all the content that you do and, um, and sharing, as you said, your story and stories that you've been through because it's had a huge impact on so many people. And, um, if, mate, if, there's, if there's anything that you want to, I guess, plug or is there's anything that you, you would recommend people go and check out, obviously, aside from the book, um, for the listeners, feel free to, to listen them off, mate. No, I just, I don't, not, not so much that. I guess I just want to finish by, um, I suppose so many of your listeners will be people who are working in the industry um, or looking at ways to, to make themselves fitter. And I think it's such a great thing. Like we, the research around um, exercise and your mental health, the links are extraordinary. Like they're just, it's emphatic. Like there's no, you know, the more you put into yourself, the happier you're going to be. And it also links to stuff like um, the research around eating well and sleeping really well with your mental health is huge as well. But for me, it all starts with exercise. Like if I have a really good session in the morning, the first thing I want to do is eat really, really well. And then I find myself getting tired at a good time, like around sort of 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, I start to get really tired and then I sleep much better. So I think it all starts with exercise for me. When you exercise, you're more likely to eat well, you're more likely to sleep well. Those three things take you a long way to having really good mental health. I mean, the stories of people who have um, turned their life around through exercise, they're endless. And that's what you guys are doing. That's the industry you work in. So I, I just, yeah, I commend you and think what you're doing is incredible. Um, whether you have one client, whether you have 100 clients, whether you are doing it yourself just because you get the benefits. Um, sometimes it's not easy, but you keep you get out of bed, you go again. And I think it um, should be very very proud of yourself because it's really important work whether it's on yourself or whether you're actually helping your clients so um well done to everyone is how i'd probably finish <laughs> awesome mate. look again thanks for joining us today um, i'm sure everyone who has listened to this episode has got a ton of value um as much as i have so thanks for coming on the show man and, and for anybody who is listening if you have taken some value please do take a screenshot of today's episode and post it up on your instagram story for us tag myself Tag you. Um, you all have all your your social links and, and to the website and stuff in the show notes as well, so everyone can come and find um, anything that you have to offer. And um, again, mate, thanks thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Absolute pleasure. You too, Danny. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate.